Hey, it's uh, Glenn today from Plymouth, Massachusetts, and welcome to the podcast. Great one. I'll explain why I'm in Plymouth. We'll help you and your family get set for Thanksgiving because you are going to be the only one that is going to teach your family and your children about what Thanksgiving is really all about. You can go to 400th, the number 400th400th.org, uh, and get help on uh, on all of that. Plus, we talk a little politics and a little impeachment. Oh, and a little TV as well. All on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. I am sitting in a very historic home. I am sitting in uh, the Leyden home in um, Plymouth, Massachusetts. And Plymouth is this amazing town that I've never been to. Um, and I came here Saturday. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a long trip this weekend uh, because I stopped somewhere else that we'll talk about later. But I, um, I got here Saturday, and it's such a strange place because everywhere you look, everywhere you look, something really important happened. Um, in this home that I'm, I'm sitting in, uh, this is where the first peace treaty happened, uh, the first peace treaty with the uh, Native Americans. The first election in America happened in this room, um, this is the this is called plot number one, and it's the first street in America and the first home in America. Right out uh, across the street, looking out the windows, I can see Plymouth Rock from here. It's literally a stone throws away from Plymouth Rock. It is right on the water. And the front yard is where they think the first Thanksgiving actually happened. Kind of a historic place. Next hour, I want to talk to you about the pilgrims and what isn't being taught anymore. This is, this town is I think like the rest of America, except on steroids, because the people who are here who know the truth about the pilgrims are on fire. They, it is this group of people up here that are holding down the fort for the pilgrims are truly remarkable people. I, I haven't been around people like this in a very long time that really, really know history know what they've been called to do, have a plan, and are doing it, and are so filled with love for other people, and it's working. There's the other side of town that either just doesn't care, maybe you've lived here for a long time, and, you know, I've seen it all, and whatever, yada, 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 pilgrims. Um, or they are really standing in the way of telling the truth about the pilgrims. Uh, one of the guys who I was with, who we'll talk about a little later, was uh, 
was actually in Holland. He came here from Holland because he was doing some research on the pilgrims and trying to get a reason from the the Pilgrim Museum, which I think is like a phone booth, uh, uh, you know, f- from where they launched. And uh, and there's one guy who, you know, is like, oh, my gosh, somebody just ring the bell. They came in. They want to hear about the pilgrims. And so he he went over there and he was asking their experts, why did the pilgrims come here? And the answers are crazy, truly, truly crazy. Well, because there was an economic recession coming over. Oh, oh, so as to escape an economic recession, they decided to go to a place to where they thought they could be scalped and eaten. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I know that's that's the first thing I do. Hey, there might be a recession. Let's get onto a rickety leaking boat and cross the ocean, uh, you know, where half of us are probably going to die because that's the way it is. It's not exactly, you know, a, a nice tour ship that you're going on. And then we're going to go to a place where there's Native Americans and uh, they usually kill all of the people that are on the ship. But at least we won't experience that recession. Why did they come here? And what has been lost? And why is Thanksgiving so important? And what are the people here doing? They are holding the fort. And they're actually making progress here. So we'll get into that here in a, in a little while. And tell you... Uh, something that I have felt for a while now I have, um, was supposed to do. And, uh, so we are going to be, uh, doing that and it involves next summer. Uh, but it's really a year long, uh, event. And we'll talk about that coming up in, in just a little while. Pat Gray is uh, joining us uh, because Stu is faking an illness. I think uh, he works. Uh, he works less than Johnny Carson used to work when he was mm. doing the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Pat, welcome to the program. How are Thank you? Thank you. Good. I'm going to start calling. I'm going to start saying that uh, Stu is filling in for Pat <laughs> uh, uh, shortly. Um, a couple of things, Pat. First mm-hmm. of all, uh, Nancy Pelosi. I think has. I think they. I think all of the Republicans on this impeachment hearing have really lost it. I really. I don't think they even know what reality is anymore. Um, Nancy Pelosi um, is now saying that Trump withheld the money from Ukraine for Putin. Could we play this audio, please? Listen to this. So uh, for a long time, just until the 24th of September was when I called for a a fuller expansion. The inquiry was going on, but to proceed with the inquiry, and that kind of changed our communication until that day in the room when I said, all roads, Mr. President, with you lead to Putin, whether it's giving them a stronger foothold in the Middle East by what you did with Turkey and Syria, or what you did by withholding a grant, uh, withholding aid to military assistance voted by Congress to Ukraine to the benefit of Putin. 11,000, more like 13,000 by now, Ukrainians have died at the hands of the Russians. They needed that military aid. And with his 
disparaging remarks about NATO and questioning our commitment to NATO. That's to Putin's advantage. So uh, we do have, a, shall we say, a candid relationship. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard anything so dishonest. Um, wow. First of all, Nancy, um, the aid was given. In fact, mm -hmm. he sold what they were asking for. They were asking for more of because the president had already sold them those weapons and those weapon systems they had been begging for. But it was the Democrats under Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and yes, you, Nancy Pelosi, that refused to sell them any of those weapons. So for her to say that, you know, look, he's just trying to help the Russians, he hurt the Russians here. His policies towards Russia, not his language, his policies towards Russia are much more fierce than anything that the Reset team was trying to do with Vladimir Putin. And when it comes to Ukraine, mm. he actually has armed them against Russia, and the Democrats did not. That's all part of trying to make Trump seem like a Russian agent. They're still trying to do that. They're still trying to make it, it a look. They're trying to make the American people believe that Donald Trump is a Russian asset. It's so dishonest. It is. It's so almost treasonish. It's 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 almost treason. Uh, so uh, Giancarlo Sopo he wrote for the Blaze this weekend. Leak focus groups results uh the uh they reveal the democrats impeaching messaging plans uh weak legal case have you did you read this article no Pat? so he says um what happened to quid pro quo as political observers noticed this week the democrats have a new messaging strategy in their impeachment inquiry of president trump accuse him of bribery the shift came mm. After a focus group in, in battleground states by the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee showed that voters were less receptive to the Latin legal term quid pro quo. <laughs> uh, they preferred the charge of bribery over quid pro quo. The latter, according to the uh, sources familiar with the focus group, likely are to persuade swing voters. So they changed it from quid pro quo just based on a focus group, what can we what can we use to get this guy? Um, as the Washington Post points out, points out, the House Intelligence Committee member Jim Hines, Democrat from Con uh, uh, Connecticut, was the first to announce the Democrats' uh, intentions to retire quid pro quo during an appearance on Meet the Press. House mm. Speaker Nancy Pelosi began accusing Trump of bribery during the press conference on Thursday. Talking Latin around here, e pluris unum, for many, one, quid pro quo, bribery and all that, is in the Constitution and attached to the impeachment hearing, she said. She noted a likely reason why Democrats had replaced quid pro quo with bribery is that the latter is one of the two crimes cited in the Constitution. Again, not true. The reason why they decided to change that is because people understood that and thought it was worse than quid pro quo. 
Post also noticed that even Hines recognizes that while bribery may be a political useful term for the Democrats, it's also imprecise to describe the allegations. Abuse of power is not necessarily a concept that most Americans run around thinking about. In this case, the abuse of power was the same combination of bribery and extortion. It's also unclear what Democrats argue is the alleged bribe in question, since Democrats don't have any witnesses with direct (laughs) knowledge of Trump's state of mind during his dealings with Ukraine. Republicans were quick to point out the change in messaging underscores that Democrats don't have a compelling legal case against the president. They're just trying different narratives to see what would work. And that brings me back to what Nancy Pelosi just said and what Pat said. They're just doing everything they can. They're throwing spaghetti up into the wall to see what Mm -hmm. sticks. Mm -hmm. They don't have anything. They have quid pro quo doesn't work. Bribery doesn't work. He's a Russian agent doesn't work. When is America going to wake up to this? Well, if you you look at the, what's the definition of bribery? Persuade someone to act in one's favor, typically illegally or dishonestly, by a gift of money or other inducement. Well, so you have to get something for it. What did we get for the money we gave them? Nothing. They never did the investigation. Even the guy who was supposedly bribed has said over and over again, we received nothing for the investigation. By the way, we didn't, we didn't do an investigation. Uh, so The line that kept sticking out to me this weekend was uh, the Democrats saying that sometimes hearsay is better than direct yeah, evidence. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Since when has hearsay been better than direct evidence? The, the hoops that you intellectually have to jump through to be a part of this crazy train is, is truly remarkable. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Did you see Ford versus Ferrari this weekend? Yeah, I did. You did, Pat? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did too. What'd you think? Uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. And it's a story I don't think a lot of Americans are familiar with necessarily. How much did you know? Uh, Well, I knew the outcome, and I knew... Uh, I, I knew the general story, but I didn't know the specifics of their relationship and all that. Uh, so if you don't know, the Shelby Cobra uh, is, or the Ford Shelby, is the greatest race car um, built. I mean, they're just, they're amazing, amazing cars. And the Shelby Cobra now, an original Shelby Cobra is, is what, three to five, seven million dollars, something like that. The Ford Shelbys, the real ones, are you know, $10 million and, um, built by a guy who's a Texan who is just this, you know, why can't we do it kind of guy. And, uh, the, the Ford versus Ferrari movie is the relationship between the driver and Shelby, the designer, and also the Ford motor company and the Shelby motor company. And Ford does not come out looking good. No, they I, really don't. No. I mean, really don't. Lee Iacocca looks great in it, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. 
Um, but it shows it shows how Ford tried to buy Ferrari in a really intense scene. Makes Ferrari look pretty weaselly too. It makes Enzo Ferrari look terrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible, <laughs> really like really like a. Well, I think I think one of the lines was when uh, Lee Iacocca came up. You know, he said, "No, you don't understand. This is we're going to meet the mob," uh, <laughs> and it really was kind of mob like. Um, but uh, it is a, I think personally, it is a perfect father and son movie. Every father mm-hmm. and son should go see this. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it shows you the rivalry between them because um, Ford was, was, like you said, going to buy Ferrari. And Ferrari was just using Ford to up the price of. With Fiat. With Fiat, another Italian company. And that's, what the, that's who they wanted to go with all along. And so uh, Henry Ford II didn't take very kindly to that. So he wants to beat him on the racetrack. And he says, I don't care what it costs. And, the, and the, uh, the, in, in two years, they develop uh, the, um, the Ford Shelby race car. Two years. And uh, that, that should have taken a decade to do. And it wins at Le Mans in 66, 67, 68, and 69. And then Ford decides they're not going to race anymore. Uh, and it's it, it, it's an incredible scene. It reminded me of the old, I think, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman movies, right? Didn't, mm-hmm. didn't? Yes. When I was a kid in the 60s, I barely remember them. But I remember my folks going to and my dad taking to me, you know, taking me to race car movies. Uh, with I think it was Paul Newman and, and Steve McQueen was in some of those as well, and it really felt like that. It was funny. It was really, really good. Really yeah, good. really was. Have yeah. you seen Midway yet? No, and I'm not going to. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Um, have you seen it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Uh, I I liked the movie until it came to the very end. That's why I'm not going. Uh, very end. Uh, Mike. Shock you a little bit because explain. You're not giving anything away. Yeah, at the at the end of the movie, they dedicate it to all of the soldiers in the American Army who fought in World War II and the Japanese soldiers who fought in World War II. Now that wait, what? You're also dedicating this to the enemy that sneak attacked us at Pearl Harbor, and two days before Veterans Day. That's what you're gonna. And it's not only that; it's the Chinese. Uh, the Japanese were. Horrible. They, they killed 250,000 Chinese civilians. Yeah, they, they were, tortured our American troops. Yeah. They were much, much worse than the Germans were yes. with their experimentations and, and everything else. We, we forget that. No, I was actually um, more concerned about the plot line. Didn't you notice that the plot line took a a significant turn to China when it didn't need to? It's like, no, yeah, what yeah. Is, yeah, it was what very does China clever. have to do with with Midway? All of a sudden, they're talking about China. And you're like, wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> yes. And that's because there's Chinese money in the movie. So this is Amazing. another thing like the, NF, wow. uh, the NBA where they've just sold out for the Chinese money. And so they, they had to make Midway some way or another to make China look good. And so they added all that extra plot line. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean... I, that, is that going to win them fans, uh, loyal? No, we're number two goers? now. We're That's... not the number one market now for movies. We're 
you're going to see wow. all kinds of stuff starting to change. For instance, did you see Terminator? No. Now, I don't know what they turned it to. This is this is coming from a friend of mine. But Skynet, it's either Skynet or Cyberdyne, but I think it's Skynet. Skynet is no longer the name of the the evil system. Okay. Okay. Now, why would you change some Skynet? Everybody knows what Skynet is. Right. Why would you change that? I was told that it is because, again, that has Chinese money in it. And they're doing... Now, I know the United States has a Skynet thing that we use against terrorists. But apparently Skynet uh, in in China is something, uh, you know, that has to do with their monitoring system of the average person or their <laughs> really? internet or something like that. And so they didn't want to be known as Skynet, you know, the ones that have the... Terminator. So, because of the Chinese money uh, funding the movie, they, they rewrote the part of. They rewrote. They changed. Yeah, they who changed the bad the guy name. was. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Jeez, yes. I mean, <laughs> wow. And and like you said, if if they're going to continue to accept the money from China, it, that's going to change a lot of movies and a lot of plot lines and a lot of dialogue. How how often is this going to happen in American movies? You're going to have a massive Chinese influence now. Especially as the United States becomes more and more unpopular, we're not standing up for what we are supposed to stand up for. How long before the American stories are completely lost? This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Paul Jelly is a uh, friend of mine, and uh, he's the pastor of the New Testament Church of uh, Cedarville. Uh, that I attended yesterday, and uh, he is also uh, one of the guys. You're not. Are you the head guy of the Plymouth Rock Foundation? Yeah, President yeah. Plymouth President. Rock Foundation. Um, and you, tell me your story quickly. You you grew up here. Actually, I grew up in New Jersey, but uh, my father. I was born in Massachusetts, but then my father, uh, who was a pastor, he. Uh, Moved us back here into uh, New England and Massachusetts. Because you don't. So have I attended that, high school here in uh, in Massachusetts. You don't have that chowder no, kind of, no, which is right. really heavy around here. <laughs> um, so you um, uh, you got engaged with the the Pilgrims when you were young, and I was thinking about this the other day. We've almost lost everything about the pilgrims i mean it's they're just their images now maybe maybe on a storefront or a mcdonald's or something like that and even that image isn't necessarily accurate with the buckles and, <laughs> right. and all the black hats right and, and, um uh, these guys they came over here uh for uh a couple of reasons and they changed the world they really changed the world can you tell the story of 
of the pilgrims. Sure. I mean, when I first when I first was uh, given some primary source documents and books on the pilgrims by my mentor, my initial mentor John Talcott here in Plymouth, I told him I don't really like history, so I, no, thank you. Yeah. And then, of course, when he looked at me, and he said, "No, you really should read this." Uh, then I started to read it, and I think what amazed me was to read the literary prose of William Bradford, to read the diary, Mort's relation, to eventually then read Good News from New England by Edward Winslow. And, and these different books, when you're reading this, you're realizing, gee, this, this is their words. This is exactly what they believed. And it was nothing I'd ever learned in high school, nothing I'd ever learned in elementary school. They were very learned people. If I'm not mistaken, right. William Bradford brought more books over than than were originally that started Harvard. Right. I mean, they had, they had hundreds of books on. And when you think about on the, the small, Mayflower. On the Mayflower. When you think of the small amount of space you had to for your family right. for clothes. And think about it. You're taking everything that you're going to own over here, and you can't take very much. You have maybe a small spot. And you're going to bring a books and, uh, and books in Latin and uh, Portuguese and Spanish. Well, 400 and, uh, books was an enormous, enormous library. Enormous. And enormous. the thing is, and, and here you had them uh, very literate, uh, and they were very ideological. One of the things is they were really wrestling with ideas, ideas that would have tremendous consequences. Now, like anyone else, they did not probably, they couldn't foresee what kind of ideas would do in consequences, but they knew they had to deal with those because ideas do have consequences and they change history. So they are over their English and they're over in England and um, the Reformation is just starting where before you couldn't read the Bible um, yourself in your own native tongue. You had to go to a priest. Um, it was the Anglican church. Uh, that was really a government, you know, the the king or the queen is the is the head of the, church. James is the, head of the church, right? And um, and heresy. Any time you were standing against it, you were burned at the stake. So they leave and they go to Holland, right? Right. And you know the pilgrims. The interesting part about it is they initially wanted to be able to get along like anybody else and do the best that they could. But even John Robinson, who became their leader. He was the uh, pastor of an Anglican congregation. In fact, he started to see his ideas for following the scriptures just conflicted with the hierarchy. And the whole idea of determining whether someone is a heretic or not was all done by, uh, backed by the state and backed by uh, this, this whole idea that uh, you, you had the terrible consequences if you disagreed. And, and here are these ideas that would eventually bring great liberty of conscience and civil liberty beyond just religious liberty. And yet at the same time, um, it would take years to do that. So here you have these individuals wrestling with it. One of John Robinson's big wrestling matches when he was pastoring an Anglican church, uh, he said, he said, why he used this kind of poetic language, why the church is married to the state. Mm. It's not married to Christ. Mm -hmm. It has no freedom. Mm -hmm. And he you actually couldn't say encouraged. that Christ led the church right. because it, the king did. Exactly. Right. And, and the king, and especially King James, was very learned. Uh, he said, when I speak, it's the law. I'm speaking. I'm speaking to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, you have to beware when someone says they're speaking, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they also have the sword backing them up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and force. Yeah. And that's, that's hardly voluntary. Usually the ones who speak for the Spirit are the, the, uh, the ones like King or Gandhi, Jesus, somebody who's really, really not a friend of power. 
Exactly. <laughs> you know and, I mean? and, and we'll eventually decentralize power. Correct. And, and that's what is so threatening. And so you have these, these pilgrims, and they begin to wrestle with this. John Robinson, when he debates with the Anglican bishops after he's even left and gone to Holland and into, eventually into Leiden, uh, he would reason this way and say, wait a minute, uh, this is not the way it is. The government actually comes from the inside out. It's actually self-government mm-hmm. that's the rule. And this is just, this is threatening the power and the this hierarchy. Is, this is 150 years before we're around. Oh, I mean, right. before the, I mean, this is the germ of the idea of And you America. have to realize that now these pilgrims, when they're reasoning together and being taught by John Robinson to think and reason from principles, it's, uh, they're only a small, tiny remnant that's mocked and they're called separatists because they're mocking them, not because they're complimenting them. Uh, they're the ones who would separate from the church. In fact, uh, the interesting thing, when you read the bishop's writings and letters to them, he said, uh, why God has given you such grace and such benefit and, and liberty granted to you by the king, why do you throw that all away and start original thinking and Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking on your own. This whole idea that to think and to reason, to come up with ideas that others may not have held was just anathema. So it doesn't seem like they were thinking people because they, they're they growing in Holland. Things are going fairly well for them. They have about 500 people, you know, 300, maybe 325 in their church in Leiden. Okay. Right. So they have, you know, that's, that's, it's growing. Yes. Uh, and uh, for some reason, you know, we had Tim Ballard here this weekend, and he was—he uh, just came back from Leiden, Holland, and yep. uh, was talking to the scholars there. And they said, well, they probably left because, you know, there was a recession coming. They didn't come here for a recession. Why would you leave right. your home that was comfortable because of a recession, even a war, when you were coming to America and it was almost certain death? Yeah, you know, you think about the, the reasons, and Bradford gives the reasons in his Old Plymouth Plantation, and they talk about the truce was ending with Spain in, by uh, 1620, and that was a big problem because uh, they were in Leiden, and that when that truce would end, there would be more problems with the Spanish. Also, not only was that a problem, but they said their their children were getting on in their years, they were getting older, uh, but the, the real crux of why they came, Bradford gives in this poetic phrase, he said, lastly, but which was not least, in fact, this was the most important a great zeal they had of propagating and advancing the gospel of the kingdom of Christ into those remote parts of the world. Yea, though we would be even as stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. Think about that phrase. It's written later. Bradford writes it about 10 years afterwards, about 1630, probably a little later than that. And yet you see the... um, the looking at this whole situation, they were coming for a motive to advance the gospel of the kingdom. And, and it was different than, for instance, there was an argument in the 1850s between uh, those who said, really, Jamestown was the cornerstone of America, and others that said it was Plymouth. And Jamestown was a religious group as well. They had some, they had some very strong pastors, right. Pastor Hunt and others that came. Right. They had some real characters on that. that right. And it, well. was, it, was a, it, it was to come for God, but also come for gold and, and everything else. Right. This one was not coming for gold. Well, you think of the difference. 
The difference, because we like to point out both the positive and both. You both had, you had a national experience with a national religion being planted in Jamestown. Mm-hmm. You have something very local, very uh, personal and intimate here in Plymouth. Beyond local, it's, it was it's familial. It was, it was all about families. But also you recognize that here in Plymouth, this was a church plant. You see, in Jamestown, it was a national plant. It was a replica of the, the state church. And though they did have the, their assembly in 1619, there are a lot of things that take place in Jamestown prior to Plymouth, and they have a lot of firsts. What we have in Plymouth is unique because um, this, is where, this was a church plant. Without the Leiden congregation sending about 75 people, over to the New World, and not even 75 were able to come. Some re- returned when the Speedwell was springing leaks, being overmasted by the captain, and what at least what, from what Bradford has written that they, they believe happened. That um, they came here, uh, so their, their hunger for religious purposes, and you have to look at the wider context of history at the time. All the explorations that are taking place at the time, uh, whether it's the Portuguese, Spanish, or anyone else, is under this doctrine of discovery, which is basically you go in and you take over the land, you take over the people, and then you dominate them, make them your slaves, and then introduce Christ. <laughs> well, this is this is now because they're so dependent on you. There was this this conquering mode where you have the the pilgrims and Robinson's teaching of them. Uh, now they're not going to stop on any exploration like this. You're going to have some hotheads on your group. You're going to right. And there was a group on the on the Mayflower called the Strangers. Yeah, they were not part of the Leiden congregation, but. The Leiden congregation is the one pioneering the motive for coming. And that motive is to serve. That motive is to bless. That motive uh, is something that was uh, uh, trained into them. It was a different, it was a remnant movement. So I want to I take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and start there, because this was a socialist idea. At first, it was a socialist idea. And they had a ton of firsts here in America that were really important that if we know about them today, we can correct the path that we're on. We're um, at the Leiden, the Leiden House uh, now in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I, I, I'm here for a reason, and that is the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Pilgrims is happening in 2020. There's some events going on that I want you to know about. Next week, there is this amazing parade put on by the uh, Plymouth Rock Foundation. Uh, and uh, it's, it's history as it has traditionally been told and is really uh, being lost. And they started this about 20 years ago, and it has exploded. There's about a quarter of a million people now that come into this town, little teeny town, just for this parade. And if you're anywhere near the area next week, you need to come. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Like listening to this podcast? If you're not a subscriber, become one now on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a favor and rate the show. We're in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, not the place to be necessarily be in the winter, but I thank you for that. Um, I want to introduce you to a couple of people. Um, first, let me introduce you to Ali uh, DiMacito. I met Ali yesterday. Uh, and, and I want you to, as you're listening in your car, wherever you are, I want you just to realize this this segment is about the impact of two normal people just like you who just 
it wasn't necessarily thinking big. They thought small. What is it I'm supposed to do? And the results are huge. Um, I also want to introduce, uh, introduce you uh, to uh, Beth Pereira. She and her husband uh, own this building that we're in now, this plot number one, this beautiful home right across the street from Plymouth Rock. Um, and you felt compelled to do what you're doing. First, let me start with you, Ollie, because you are, I went to these these float barns uh, where you are building these floats. And every year, this this parade tells a different story, right? Exactly. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing it for roughly 25 years, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And um, and it, uh, you're right, it started, we kind of took it over at a certain time. But, you know, I've always had a passion for history, you mm -hmm. know, but, uh, and I have a, more of a passion for America. You know, I immigrated here as a child. So coming, um, to, coming to America when I was a little kid was like coming to heaven, actually. Really? That's how we felt. How old were you? I was seven years old. And you came from? Cape Verde, which is on the west coast of Africa. These little islands, they're Portuguese islands. Okay. And, uh, and so it was a big deal for my family to immigrate here. And uh, I remember getting on a ship. And uh, really? starting the you know the voyage over here and how difficult it was and throwing up the whole way, but uh, but to us the opportunity that what everyone knew in Cape Verde was America was the place and and why? About, why why well because well first of all you only get four years of education over there is very difficult you know for one of my older brothers to go to a different island to get high school education was more than my father made in a whole month mm -hmm. so it was impossible so my mother's dream was to educate her children and so all of us have been educated college and so on. And we wanted the American dream like everybody else. It's like my story's not unlike anyone other's stories. But I just, you know, uh, I have a passion for why America is America and what America's represented for so many, uh, for so long. Why is America America? Uh, America's America because it's, it's an idea. Yeah. And it's an idea that not only for me as a Christian, I really believe that, you know, it was in God's sight to see that America would be. There was a reason for it. There's a reason why America exists, and it existed for so many things. Uh, America has totally changed the whole makeup of the world. The world's a different place because America's existed. Mm -hmm. And so to me— And I it's because the idea existed. Exactly. exactly. And, and we've never accomplished, fully accomplished the idea. And the idea is all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among these right, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've never— We've never completed that, and it's crazy to think that the arrogance to think you could come up with a better mission statement for a country than that, especially when we've not gotten close to even completing that yet. That's because we're in the pro we're part of that process, and that's, right. what, that's what holds right. it up most of the time. Right. But uh, but it's a, it's a great idea. Like for us, for my family, was really we can go to a place where every dream can be realized. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, my dad didn't have anything. My mom didn't have anything. But we knew that in America we had a chance. And it goes deep with inside me. I have a passion for what I do when we celebrate the parade and we tell America's story because I believe that no one should forget why America exists and why it continues to exist. And we cannot forget so that we don't allow for what, why it exists to go away so other people and other generations can't mm -hmm. be benefactors. I want my children, I want my children's children to be able to know uh, why their granddad, you know, or, or their great-granddad made the voyage to come here. There was a reason. I wanted to be free. And at that time, I didn't even really understand what freedom was. But I soon began to understand what freedom was. And it wasn't easy. So you are – we met at the yeah. parade barn or the, the uh, float barn mm -hmm. where you are making these 
incredible. You were so funny yesterday because I drove up and I saw one of these floats that was out of the barn that you're still working on. And I said to whomever was in the car, I said, maybe it was you, Beth. I said, uh, look, that, that, is that the golden spike? And when I met you and you said, and we're working on some things, and, and, and this is, you know, represents the golden spike. I don't know if you can see it. And I'm like, yeah, it looks just like the picture, dude. I mean, there's these two big trains that you have built on the back of this float. And you tell, what is the theme this year with the parade? Well, the theme usually always with the parade, it's prosperity, but the, the theme with the parade is always is telling the great moments in history where the nation paused to give thanks, Thanksgiving. So, and I believe anytime we had great accomplishment, like we also having the Apollo 11 this year, when, when this nation has done great things, we're doing D-Day this year, when we've accomplished things that are far beyond what people can even imagine, I think a nation has said, thank you, Lord, that we've been able mm -hmm. to do these things. I mean, that was a big deal 100, 150 years ago to have the West meet East. You know, that was a huge right. deal. But this is not something that... There's no corporation behind this. There's no big money behind this. Nope. There's no big people behind this. It's just you and your church and some other. And it's like a real parade. It's, I mean, it's like real. Yeah. It's not one of these, ah, yeah, we, you know, dressed yeah. up the back of our pickup truck. This is real. Yeah. No, it's, it's legit. And, you know, we're, we're obviously the whole nation has taken notice of what we do. And I think what we do is that we're different because we do tell a story. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed about you, you're a storyteller and I'm mm. a storyteller. And I do the stories though, in a parade. I let the people know the greatness of this land and why we so appreciate it, why so many appreciate it. And we do it every year differently with different events or different historic events or anniversaries that tell a wonderful story and it's knit together by normal people. You're right. Just it's like that. They're like, that's right. Everybody just, there. Nobody's nobody, getting no, paid. That's right. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows their names half the time, right. but the product is excellent and the story is even better. I have to tell you, you, uh, I went through your barn and I, what did I say to you? Would you come and build a Zeppelin for me? Because I can't get somebody. That quality that you have yeah. done on these floats is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Just beautiful. Yeah. So I know you have to go back to work, and yeah. you're you're lovely in that outfit. Oh, thank you. Do you change? Do you get a change? I do. My wife, she puts up stuff for me, but in the, sometimes I yeah. just I sleep in my clothes and get up the next morning yeah. and do it. Sometimes we go through the night for the next day. We're not done to complete it, but it's it's. When it, is the parade? Is the parade this Saturday? This Saturday. This Saturday. It's always the Saturday before Thanksgiving for the main reason that we want people to still enjoy their their grandmas and their uncles on Thanksgiving Day. We don't want them to be away from their family Thanksgiving yeah. Day, so we do it the weekend before, and you have all the stuff and the excitement of it all mm -hmm. but at the same time you get to be with your family the blaze radio network on demand